0: Let's go to Mark chapter 9, 42 through 50. Stand with me. And um, the title of the message is Radical Discipleship. You know what the word radical means? Radical means extreme. It means beyond the usual, beyond the routine, beyond the common. That's what Jesus calls us to. (laughs) He calls us to be... This This is probably the most radical passage or thing that Jesus said. So let's read it together. But whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to stumble, it would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were thrown into the sea. If your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. It is better for you to enter into life maimed rather than having two hands to go to hell. Into the fire that shall never be quenched where the worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. And if your foot causes you to sin, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life lame rather than having two feet. To be cast into hell, into the fire that shall never be quenched where their worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. And if your Uh, I causes you to sin, pluck it out. It is better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye rather than having two eyes to be cast into hellfire where the worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. For everyone will be seasoned with fire and every sacrifice will be seasoned with salt. Salt is good, but if uh, salt loses its flavor, how will you season it? Have salt in yourselves and have peace with one another. Oh, Father, let us gird up our loins this morning. Lord God, let us just get very serious because, Lord God, the word that is spoken here can save from hell, can save from a whole lot of pain, can save from a whole lot of despair. It's a very serious word, Lord God, and let us just approach the word with seriousness this morning. And we ask this, Lord Jesus, in your name, amen. Amen. So what you have here in Mark chapter 9, 42 through 50, is probably one of the most radical things that Jesus ever said. It's radical language. It is graphic. It is dramatic. It is a severe warning. And let me tell you, it's a violent threat from our loving Savior. It's a call, it's a challenge to a radical life, to radical discipleship. And by the way, if you're reading this, you're saying, well, this is just for super-Christians. You know, that's what just kind of happened in there. It's just for the really serious ones, you know, the ones that come out and pray, the ones that that are doing all the ministry around the church right now, the ones who give all the money to be able to provide. for. It's just, no, it's not. It's not. It's for everyone who calls themselves by His name. If you call yourself a Christian, this passage is for you. It's for, it's for everyone who claims to be a Christian. And it, it is it is a call, it is a call to a radical discipleship. So if you claim to be a follower of Jesus, don't sit there and go, oh man, you know I'm this, you know, see this, 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 this mealy mouth, flaky Christianity. It's just, you know, it's it's for the pastor. It's for the deacons and the elders. It's for those people that, you know, that, that are here at the, at the prayer meetings. It's just for them. It's not for the rest of us. Wrong! <laughs> Wrong! So there are four things that you will see here in the text. Radical discipleship, right? It's a call to radical love, to radical purity, to radical sacrifice, and to radical obedience. So let's look, at, let's look at the first, radical love. So he says in verse 42, But whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to stumble, it would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were thrown into the sea. So what, what, what this is saying, that if you're a believer you should have a tremendous radical love for your brothers and sisters in Christ. And it is, it is a warning concerning causing them to stumble, causing them to sin. Jesus is very zealous for His bride. Very zealous for His church. Very zealous for His kingdom and His children. So, essentially... If you are, again, a believer, you are forbidden from, and you notice the word stumble, from causing scandal, scandalize. You know, when somebody is scandalized, we saw, we saw some preachers back in the, in the 80s and 90s, they, they were all named Jim. I was really happy during that time, my name was Frank. But they caused scandal in the church. And a lot of people on that on that fringe of maybe accepting Jesus got so turned off from Christianity that they walked away. They caused scandal. So so what, what you have here is a call. It, it is really a call to love. It is a call to agape, and and agape is love in action. So look look at in the English language we have one word for love. So people say, I love my car. I love my wife right i love my hair i love my children I, I i can't say that but you hear people say that people say i love my dog i love my cat i love jesus it's it's a, it's a weak it's a very weak language when you when you get into the greek language we have four words for love Eros, which means sensual desire, love between a husband and wife. Phileo, love between uh, friends. Storge, family love, love between a parent and a child, a child and a parent. And then agape, supernatural love of God, this supernatural love. That we are to love one another with agape, with with agape love. And and agape love, understand, it's not touchy-feely. You know, it's not mush-mush love. It's it, you know it, it's not sloppy agape. You sloppy agape. Oh yeah yeah I love you I love you and then all of a sudden the person has an and It's like hey man I don't, I don't want to be forget that you know i ain't helping them. Agape is a choice. It's a it's a decision. Agape bends its knees, it lifts, it gives. It sacrifices. It goes the second mile. It turns the other cheek. It forgives. Agape is patient. It's kind. It's generous. Agape sweats. And in even times, Agape bleeds and lays down its life for others. It's time. It's money. It's gifts. It's abilities. It's skills. And Agape does not cause its brothers and sisters to stumble. In verse uh, 7 of Matthew 18, same context. Jesus said, Woe to the world because of the things that cause people to stumble. Such things must come, but woe to the person through whom they come. I want you to, to notice, we expect stumbling blocks from the world. Right? We, we expect worldly people to gossip. <laughs> we, oh, we got a little ringing going on here. Is that my Is that my ear? We expect worldly people to slander others. We expect them to lie. We expect them to cheat. We expect them to steal. We expect them to hate. We expect them to cause divisions. You, you expect worldly people, right, uh, to sin. The, the media, <laughs> If you, if, you're, if you watch the media, don't you expect, you expect division. You expect hatred from the pundits and the politicians and the ideologues. You expect them to instill hate in people. You expect fake Christians to do those things. I've been in the church for 40 years. It's something we see, right? Paul, The Bible made it very clear, we're going to be infiltrated, folks, by fake Christians. Wolves are going to infiltrate the church. We've dealt with this for 30 years here. So you expect it. But here's the point. Christ lives in every true believer. And how you treat a believer is how you treat Jesus. And how you treat Jesus is how you treat God. And he makes this point throughout the Gospels. John 13, 20, Truly, truly I say to you, he who receives, right? He who receives whomever I send receives me. And he who receives me receives him who sent me. Do you get that? Look at look at Matthew 25, 34 through 45. Uh, I'll, I'll just 35 through 40. The parable of the sheep and the goats. For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you took me in. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. is the way we are treating Christ. Just think about that. You walk a little more softly through the church. You'll walk more softly. As I understood this, I began to walk, walk far more soft. Like I'm walking on rice paper. Any of you did the martial arts before? You walk on rice paper, you know? You walk softly through the church. So the, the word here is, treat others as you would Jesus, and don't throw stumbling blocks Don't cause them to stumble. Don't cause them to sin. That's forbidden. That's a very serious sin (laughs) that Jesus is dealing with here. Very serious. So there there are two two types of of stumbling blocks, direct and indirect. So a a direct stumbling block would be like gossip. Gossip, right? Right? People, people, you know, they, they start gossiping. And what it does is, right, you get sucked in. When we should be saying, shut up. They suck you in. They start talking about There's something pleasurable about talking about Oh, did you hear about this? Did you hear about this? Did you hear about this? That's, that's a direct way of essentially causing a person to stumble. They're, they're enticing you to sin. Come on. Come on, let's have a gossip party together. And then, and then you have indirect okay, stumbling blocks. And indirect stumbling blocks can be, can be indifference towards God, towards his church, towards the word, towards prayer, towards service. You know, it could be mediocrity. You ever seen just mediocre people in the church? Their standard is pitifully low. They're they're apathetic. They're lazy. They're lazy towards God. They're lazy towards God's work. They're lazy towards God's ministry. They're lazy towards God's church. You know, you get around enough of those people, all of a sudden you think this is the standard, right? The standard's down here when Jesus wants it to be up here. And they cause you to stumble. There are people here sitting here today, I think that, 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 hey, that could be true of some of you. You're 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 standing, and again, you 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 got you got kids. Kids are learning. This this is what Christianity is, is is supposed to be, and it's not. And you're setting them up for failure. And you can see it again. You see it. I see it in pastors. See it in elders and deacons and teachers. So it's a warning against causing people to stumble directly or indirectly. Instead, we are, Hebrews 10, 24, 25, let us consider one another, con- hey, let's, let's consider, let's think about one another in order to stir up love and good works. Right? We're supposed to be stirring up love in one another. We're supposed to be stirring one another for good works. Stirring, I hope I'm stirring you today. Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as in the manner of some, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. So, consider one another. Stir one another. Through your holiness, through your obedience, through your, through your filling of the Holy Spirit, through your walk with Christ, through your obedience to the Word of God. Stir, stir one another. It is, there's nothing better I mean you know you can listen to people's words there's nothing better than seeing a Christian just living it right Amen. let me tell you there's some people here in this church You inspire, I said this on Wednesday night you, you inspire Sue and I so much the way you live for Christ the way you love your brothers and sisters here, the way you serve the way you give we come to church on Wednesday night. We just talk. We're talking about people in the church, saying we are so blessed to be pastoring this church, and just talking about people. That's, we're talking about the Wednesday night crowd here, and just how they, they just they do so much. They never complain. I mean, they're here. They're here, they're here an hour early. They leave an hour late. I mean, they just they're here just serving God. So we we stir one another on. So again, we are to be doing that and not causing stumbling blocks. Because if we cause stumbling blocks, this is what Jesus said, right? You would be better off having this thing here, this this millstone, which basically is used to crush grapes to make wine or to crush olives to make olive oil, You'd be better off, you, you, listen, you'd be better off having it around your neck and thrown into the sea. And that is a strong warning. And you know why he says you'd be better off? Think about that. Think about having that thing around your neck, going down to the Hudson River, right? Maybe going out in the middle of the bridge and throwing yourself off and going down, right? You'd be better off having that experience than divine judgment. Because that's quick, and hell is never-ending. So, uh, again, we are, we, we are called not to throw stumbling blocks down in this very stern warning, but to love each other. Look at, look at 1 Peter 4, it says, Love one another with a stretched love. At teens. You, gotta, you know, you love one another, you've got to stretch a little. You know, when you stretch a little, it hurts? You've got to stretch. You've got to strain your love. I want to, I want to read a, a quote to you. I don't use a lot of quotes. I'm actually going to use two today outside of Scripture. But this is from Jason Quirrell. He's a, a martial artist who runs a, a dojo down in Greenville, South Carolina. And He wrote a book called The Way of the Blade. I'm not recommending it as a, a book to... So if you're into martial arts, it's a great book. He's a great martial artist, and he's a Christian, strong Christian. Listen to what he says here, because I think this, this kind of, this really caught me. You know I'm reading the book, and he's teaching some great technique. He's teaching also compassion. Um, you know, he's, not a, he's not a crazy man, and um, does a lot of training with, with military and with law enforcement. And um, it just resonated with me when I read this quote. So he says this: "I speak of love the way a warrior understands it." The love that compels us to self-control so that our lives never outpace our virtues and thereby hurt those we love. I want you to stop and just think about that. A love, right, that controls our weaknesses, that controls our vices, because if we don't gain control of it, we hurt people. We hurt our kids. We hurt our spouse. We hurt people in the church. Right? Every little sin, every little uncontrolled vice is like, is like throwing a rock into a still pond. It has a ripple effect. So it's a, it's a love that strives to gain control. And the virtues win out over the vices. Then he goes on and he says, the love that compels us to honor because we don't want to contribute to a world where others are demeaned and lied to. Boy, is that true. A love demands that we always place doing what's right higher than doing what we feel like. Hey, I'm 63. I am so sick of hearing people say, "I don't feel like it." I mean, go away. Go, go, put the millstone around your neck and jump. You know, you don't have to jump in the uh, Hudson River. Just jump in a pond. Get wet. I, I don't feel. I'm too tired. I don't feel like it. A love. Demands that we always place doing what's right higher than doing what we feel like. Love demands that we keep our word and never ask of others to do what we aren't doing. Love is the awareness that good is fragile, so we are always prepared to fight for it. Every day is a fight. Every day is a fight for the right. I don't know what your philosophy in life is, Mine is of a warrior. Mine is that I live in a battlefield, not in a playground. And every morning I get up, it's, it's time to fight again. And you fight for the right. You fight for, for righteousness. And you fight against the devil. And you fight against evil. And you fight against the world. Every day. Every day. Just resonated with me. I thought I wanted to share that with you. So, again, the first, you have radical love. Then secondly, you have radical purity. Radical love, then radical purity. So, so here Jesus, he says, if, if your hand causes you to sin, cut it off, right? If your foot causes you to sin, cut it off. If your eye causes you to sin, cut it off. And that is radical language. That we are to deal radically with sin. By the way, he's not here teaching amputation, <laughs> thank the Lord it is hyperbole right Ricardo hyperbole before I was eloquent in being able to understand words I called it a hyperbole when I was preaching here right and Ricardo knew what a hyperbole is those are the toilets that we have in the men's and women's rooms (laughs) because when you flush them I'll tell you man get up quick because it'll suck you right down into the pipe (laughs) really like the, the suction is quite dramatic Hyperbole, hyperbole. What is a hyperbole? A hyperbole is an extravagant exaggeration. You use them all the time. Think of of some. I'm so hungry, I can eat a... You can't. I can't. He was so funny, I died laughing. Our car cost us an arm and a leg. I slept like a rock. How does a rock sleep? I never knew that rocks sleep. I didn't know they can't sleep. It's raining cats and dogs out there. I've never seen cats and dogs coming down from the clouds. My shoes, my shoes are killing me. They're, they're really not. They're really not. You can wear them for another month and not take them off, and they're not going to kill you. So it's, it's, it's hyperbole, hyperbole. Your right hand causes you to sin cut it off. Now, in the Middle Ages, there were some real nuts. By the way, there have always been nuts in the church. There have always been very cruel people in the church, right Right from the, the days of, uh, of Acts. But in the Middle Ages, there were some real nutty clergy that was advocating that people cut off their hands, pluck out their eyes, and cut off their feet, and people were doing it. I think many undiscerning, naive people get deceived by, by these crazy people, by these nuts, and they began cutting off their hands, feet, and plugging out their eyes. So, again, Jesus is not telling us to do it. He's not talking literally, but he is saying that we need to deal with sin radically, radically. Look at, look at Mark 9, 43-44. It is better for you to enter into life maimed, rather than having two hands, or go to hell into the fire that shall never be quenched, where the worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. By the way, that's a, a term for Gehenna, if you know the Old Testament Gehenna. was a place where they sacrificed children to Molech. In fact, they used to beat drums because the screaming of the child. They would, they would basically drown out their scream. They would lift up their, to put their children through the fire. Manasseh offered up his son who would have been a king. There, and um, then under Josiah, thank God for Josiah, great revival. Josiah, one of the, I think, the greatest of all kings. say, well, David, Josiah actually lived such a pure life, and, and he, he basically wiped it out. But they turned it into a garbage dump, and it would basically smolder. And even in the time of Jesus, down in the Kidron Valley, it would be smoldering. So that's what Jesus is saying: where you know the, the fire never goes out; the fire is never quenched. But what he, what he is describing here is sin destroys. Sin destroys lives. Sin destroys marriages. Sin destroys families. Sin destroys careers. It destroys ministries. It destroys nations. So there, there is a, a, this great danger of sin. Sin destroys our bodies. You look at people against just let's say, sinful habits, sinful addiction. I'm not here to speak condemnation to anybody, but drugs, alcohol, tobacco, gluttony, laziness destroys our bodies, sin destroys our minds. Envy, jealousy, worry, anger, bitterness, unforgiveness. Our brains, you know, right now, again, with with understanding the way our brains are wired with the neurotransmitters and neuroplasticity, I mean, you can build up these, these, these huge patterns of anger and rage and hatred. And sin destroys us spiritually. Sin separates us from God, and if not dealt with, it will separate us eternally in hell. So, so what the Lord is essentially saying here, deal with it. You've got, you got to deal with it. You've got, you got to make choices between, between righteousness and evil. You've got to make choices between the good and the bad, between life and death, between peace and chaos, between misery and joy. You need to make choices. If not, you will destroy yourself and sin will destroy you. That's what he's saying. So I want to show you something. I want to show you a video. This is a guy, and this always reminds me of, of, of people. They to- people toy with sin, right? You toy with it. It's not going to get me. Right? Lying, lying, I'm not going to get caught in my lies. Or Stealing, I'm not going to get caught stealing. I'm not going to get caught in my sin. So this guy has a, a Burmese python, and he would have it wrap around him, and the people would cheer, 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 cheer. And one day, it constricted and his head popped like a juicy zit on the head of a teenager. <laughs> Sorry, honey, I, <laughs> I really thought about that. said, what can I use to... Re-? And all of you had zits, I have compassion for you, so did I. <laughs> you want me to show you the video? I don't have the video, I just have the picture, but I just wanted to see how you feel about that. Some of you would be spilling your breakfast. <laughs> You'd be on a quick diet on the Lord's Day. But you see, you see people, though, they, they, toy, they toy with sin. And they're not taking it seriously. They're not dealing with it. Like Cain, right? Jesus, right, right, the, the Word of God coming. Sin is crouching at your door. And it wants to have you. It's a warning, deal with it. He didn't deal with it. And it had him. Ter- terrible, terrible implications. But sin is destructive. Look at Samson. We have examples in this good David. And not just David in his own life, his child died. Look at the, 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 the repercussions of David's sins through the generations and his family and his children. It's, it's just, it's, it's totally tragic. Judas, Ananias and Sapphira said, deal with your sin. Sin has brought down presidents. It has brought down senators. It has brought down congressmen. It it has brought down CEOs of Fortune 500 companies, it has brought down pastors. It destroys. We need to deal with it. Nations need to deal with it. Churches need to deal with it. Ministries need to deal with it. Couples need to deal with it. We need to deal with it individually. Look at James, James chapter one, verse fourteen through fifteen. But each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. So don't tell me the devil made you do it. Then, when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. I just want you to notice notice the way this works. Starts with temptation, ungodly desires. Boy, I'll tell you something. Deal with the ungodly desires and don't let them to conceive, because when they conceive, they then become and give birth to sin. And then, as you just allow that sin, right? You, you, again, you play with it, right? A few lies here, a little cheating here, a little lust here, a little pornography here, right? Just a just a little, and then slowly, what happens is it grows and it grows and it grows. And when it is fully grown, it brings forth death physical, spiritual. So Pastor Dave Wilkerson, who pastored Times Square Church and a uh, assemblies church out in Pennsylvania, in his church in Pennsylvania, it seems like the people were being greatly led into sin by watching television. And it was nothing like it is today. So he preached. He preached to his congregation. We, we need to deal with this sin radically. You're being led away. You're, you're spending far more time in front of the TV than with God. You're, you're not coming out to, to worship God and to pray. You're in front of the television. So what they did was they brought their televisions to the uh, church and in the backyard of the church, they took out their guns and they blew the TVs away. <laughs> I like that. Right? That's radical. Hey, I get, I get a lot of people, you know what? You see, that, that little cell phone causes me to sin, but I just can't give it up. Man, I, I, you want me to give up my cell phone? And I see people, and I've dealt with this in counseling with people, adultery, pornography, gambling. That little device that could be used for good but I can not you you right now right how many of you could possibly give up that cell phone right now even if you knew hey it's going to take you right to hell you ain't giving it up I can't stop I can't quit I'm addicted to that to that little magical machine And you know what I tell you have you ever heard of a hammer Have you? Deal radically with the sin or it will destroy you. Some of you, you're very aware of this. You're very familiar with it. Deal radically with the sin. Let the cross exit out. I tell people when they have a sin struggle you've got to do everything you can get, get all the help you can I mean you need counseling you need to get into accountability group let me tell you something you need to put a blocker on that phone you have a phone you have a computer is it accessible to everyone you, you're welcome I don't have my phone on me it's in my car you're welcome anytime anybody in this church you can go and take my phone and search through it be free. Go on my computer. I have two computers at home. Go on my computers. Feel free to go on and search. I got my six-year-old grandson doing that. Feel free to. And there was a time, let me say this, there was a time in my life when I had to put a blocker on my computer because of the temptation. Temptation. See all the, the, the pictures I use? You're going through those pictures on Google and stuff, and I have some Christian sites that I use. They don't find anything in there. All of a sudden, you get a you know, the girl in the bikini or half-dressed. The most beautiful thing that God has put on his green earth, a woman. Right, man? Yeah. Well, they know them, Nothing more beautiful than that, than a woman. And all of a sudden, it just sucks you in. I had to put blocker on it. This blocker, this is when blockers first came out. Whatever it takes... Last last word here on just this point. But in a great house there are only vessels of gold and silver, but also wood and clay, some for honor and some for dishonor. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from the later, he will be a vessel for honor, sanctified and useful for the master, prepared for every good work. Understand that purity is necessary to be used by the master. To be useful to the master you need to be living a pure life. You need to be living in repentance. You need to be living with confession. You need to be turning away from your sin. And it's not that you won't stumble. You may stumble, but you repent and you get right with Jesus and you allow him, you allow him to purify your heart, to wash you, to cleanse you and to keep you in that place. So there is, there, repentance is a continuous turning to Jesus. Sanctification is a crisis but a process. But if you want, you see, I've I've seen people who have just been put aside. We see this with pastors. They're put aside by God. We've seen it with elders and deacons. They're put aside by God because they did not keep their hearts pure. And sometimes that's the end. It's the end of the ministry. Number three. So we have radical love, radical purity. We have radical sacrifice. Mark chapter 9:49 For everyone will be seasoned with fire and every sacrifice will be seasoned with salt and I want to ask you this where do salt and fire come together in the scriptures? Salt and fire Where? Yes, yes, in the temple, in the sacrificial system, right? Look, at the answer is right there. Did you see that? You missed it. You missed it. It was right there in the text, right? Boom. For everyone will be seasoned with fire and every sacrifice will be seasoned with salt. So they, they seasoned the five sacrifices with salt. Look at uh, Ezekiel chapter 43, 23 to 24. When you have finished cleansing it, you shall offer a young bull without blemish and a ram from the flock without blemish and when you offer them before the Lord, the priest shall throw salt on them and they will offer them up as a burnt offering to the Lord. So here, here is the, the five, so those of you who study with me on Wednesday, we, went, we can go into the book of Leviticus. You have five offerings in the book of Leviticus. I want you to notice though, the burnt, the sin, the peace, and the trespass offerings were offerings of repentance. Like you, they would go and they would make this, to get right with God, to get, to get their sins forgiven, to have peace with God. But the meal offering was essentially an offering of devotion. It was, it was an offering of surrender. And notice again, notice there, there was salt. And salt, salt is used in all the offerings. But this offering, the meal offering, it, it's, it's an offering of dedication, an offering of personal sacrifice to God. Now, as you study Scripture, you see there, there are parallels. right? The Old Testament will we'll always have a parallel in the New. The New always has a parallel in the Old, right? The, the New Testament is concealed in the Old Testament and the Old Testament is revealed in the New Testament. So the idea here is to be giving ourselves to God. Where do we find in the New Testament a passage that talks about us offering ourselves to God as a living sacrifice? Anyone? Romans 12, right? Romans 12. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies as living sacrifice, holy acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. Right? In view of the mercies of God, in view of Jesus, who hung on the cross six hours, right, that Friday, who bled for you and died for you and took all your sins upon himself, in view of what Jesus has done for you. you know what He, what he did? He, he did something for you that nobody has ever done for you. He died for you on the cross to take away your sins. So in, in view of His mercy, of Him giving you His very best, His life, what does it say? We are to give our life back to Him. Lord, take my life, take my brain, my mouth, my eyes, my ears, my hands, my feet, and use them now. I'm, I'm, I'm giving myself to you. That, that's the picture here. We offer ourselves as a sacrifice to the Lord. Surrender. You know, that's what the Christian life, You could the Christian life is this and the Christian life is that. You'll get a lot of different ideas. You know what the Christian life is? Watch. If you learned anything today, learn this. It's a surrender. That's, it's a surrender. It's a surrender to the God that made you, that nurtured you together in your mommy's womb, and who died for you on the cross. He gave you his very best. You then give to him your life. Great quote by Napoleon Bonaparte. The conqueror who one day got conquered, Bonaparte, Napoleon Bonaparte, Alexander the Great, Genghis Khan, the greatest conquerors of history. And he got conquered at the end of his life while he was in exile. Listen to what he says. Across the chasm of 1800 years, Jesus Christ makes a demand which is beyond all others difficult to satisfy. He asks for that which a philosopher may often seek in vain at the hands of his friends, or a father of his children, or a bride of her spouse, or a man of his brother. He asks for the human heart. He will have it entirely to himself. He demands it unconditionally, and forthwith his demand is granted. Notice what he says, then it's wonderful. Want me to tell you who some of the most miserable people in the world are? people in the church who have not surrendered to Jesus. I'm telling you, you see a miserable person? I've, I've, I've counseled them, I've talked with them. Miserable people, right? They're, they're, they're literally haunted, they live with a sense of condemnation, they live with a sense of conviction, and they will not surrender their life to Jesus. But when you do, look at that final word. What did he say then? Wonderful. For those of you who are German, wunderbar, okay? That's the only German word I know. Maybe a few curse words, I don't know. All right, final point here. Radical love, radical purity, radical sacrifice, radical obedience. So in verse 50 of chapter 9, salt is good, but if the salt loses its flavor, how will you season it? Have salt in yourselves and have peace with one another. So if salt becomes unsalty but there's a problem with that if any of the people here who have had a background in chemistry know sodium chloride is stable and it could sit for a thousand years and it's still salty so did jesus who is god and knows all things was he mistaken here that salt could lose its saltiness so you kind of dig in the scriptures and you did a little bit in history and you ever hear of, uh, of of gypsum I'm going to give you the history of gypsum now. Would you like that? I'm going to basically finish up around 1 o'clock today with the history of gypsum. No, no. Just bear with me for a second. There's a philosopher named Pliny who describes that in Israel there were all kinds of salt, many kinds of salt, and many of them basically had this component of gypsum. So it was a, co- a combination of sodium chloride and gypsum. And gypsum was totally useless, and the gypsum mixed with the salt made salt totally useless. So he's saying here, Be salt. And don't be mixed with gypsum. What do you think gypsum would stand for? The world. Don't be mixed. Don't, 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 don't. Listen, we, we have a, you won't find this one in the Bible. This is an original thought. Mug butts. You have mug butts in the church. They got their mug in the church and their butt in the world. They're not sold out to Jesus. They they may be fans, but they're not followers. They're, they're a combination, right? Of of salt and gypsum. Don't be a person who's a combination. Be salt. Jesus said in Matthew 5, 13, You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? It is then good for nothing. Hey, Folks, I'll talk to you. My name is Frank. I'll talk to you frankly. There have been people who have come here who are good for nothing. Now that, that may sound really, really harsh. I mean, they're people. I mean, they give nothing. They do nothing. Usually times, actually, they complain and they cause more problems and they're good for nothing. So we're not we're not disappointed when they leave. And they go to another church and they do the same thing. Are are they saved? I I really doubt it. But they're a combination, right? There's there's Just that gypsum is there. So, we are to become and to remain salty. Now, what what does salt do? Salt is, I'll give you three key things. There's probably a lot more. Salt is a preservative. A salty Christian preserve. They preserve the marriage. They preserve the children. They preserve the family. They preserve the church. They're a preserving. They have a preserving effect on the culture and the nation. You know, in 2 Thessalonians, when it talks about the Antichrist, it says there's a restrainer, and the restrainer is holding back the Antichrist, and the restrainer is called an it, but then it's called a he. So you're like, well, what, what can the restrainer be? And when the restrainer is removed, then all hell breaks loose. Yeah. What's the restrainer? What the spirit in the church. Uh-huh. We are the it. The spirit is the he. But that's it. We we are... Folks, when you pray, and you pray for our nation, and you pray for our world, and you're praying for the Ukraine, and you're praying for Taiwan, and you're praying that righteousness will overcome evil, and, and you're praying for the Lord to come, and we pray Maranatha, when you are praying, you are working as a preservative in this world, as the restrainer. Don't, don't underestimate when you're doing it privately or corporately how powerful it is with what you're doing. Salt is also an antiseptic. It kills certain types of bacteria. That's what we as the salt do with Truth truth triumphs over lies over evil over deception so we are we are ever, we are ever working as an antiseptic against darkness and evil and then what jesus said salt is a flavor enhancer where to bring flavor where to bring life where there's death you know we have a, we, we live in a death culture We celebrate death in our culture. Abortion? Look at the movies and the TV. It's just murder, 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 murder. We celebrate slash movies, kill movies, the video games that kids play. It's just murder, murder, murder. We live in a death culture. We bring life. We bring truth to a culture of deception. We bring love to a culture of lust. We bring flavor of holiness to a culture of evil. We bring peace to a culture of chaos, joy to a culture of misery. We are to be filled with flavor. So that is his call to us, radical discipleship. I'll give you a quick review and we'll end. We're called to a radical love, to an agape love, that doesn't cause our brothers and sisters to stumble, whether directly or indirectly. Instead, we stir them up to good works, encouraging them, affirming them. We are called to a radical purity, to deal with our sins in a radical way, whatever it takes confession, repentance, maybe you need counseling. Maybe you need to get into an accountability group or create an accountability relationship with someone where you can share every little sin that you have in your life with them and you pray through it and you work through it and they hold you accountable for it. Or maybe, some of you, you need to go and get the hammer today and use the hammer. We are called to a radical sacrifice to give ourselves to Him who gave His very all for us to lay down our lives and say, Lord, take me and use me. And we are called to a radical obedience. We are called to be salt, to be a preservative, to be an antiseptic, to to be a, a flavorizer in this world. So why are we radical? My father used to say to me before I was a Christian, you're a radical. He said that to me. He said to me as, as I would go, you're a radical. And I kind of understood, maybe he was prophesying over my life that I was called to do, I believe, the most radical thing that a person can do, which is to proclaim and explain the gospel. But why are we radical? In love, and purity, and sacrifice, and obedience. Because we follow a radical Jesus, who is the radical of radicals. He's the most radical of all, folks. He, he opposed the status quo. Most people don't get this. The world is the status quo. Satanism is the status quo. And Jesus went against that tide. He, he, he is the most radical person who has ever stepped foot on this earth. And he fought a radical fight to free and liberate us who were in bondage to Satan and sin. And he calls us. To be radical followers of Him. If you reject it, you'll be led to hell. If you accept it, you'll be led to heaven. I, Sam, resolve that there's no blood on my hands today. So you can't get there and say, Pastor Frank, I was in his church back there on March 27th in 222, and he didn't tell me the truth. I'm telling you the truth right now. The blood is on your hands if you reject it. Follow the radical Jesus. It's good. It's good. Let's just bow our heads and close. Father, we thank you, Lord God, for your very radical way This morning, Lord God, we thank you, Lord God. I thank you so much, Lord God, you haven't called us to to lethargy and complacency and apathy, Lord God. We see that everywhere we look, but you've called us to a radical life. I pray, Lord God, that you deal with each and every person who's here right now. Have your way with them. Do what you need to do with them, Lord God. People walked in here, Lord God, however they walked in, let them walk out here more radical than they've ever been. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.